All right, so this morning I just want to take a few minutes, and uh, it really has to be a few minutes because Brandy has the uh, children's service after this, and she said we have to break up because I have to have time to set up. So if I don't get through this quickly, she will kill me. So like I said, I just want to, this is an important topic and really an important passage that deals with unity and humility in the body of Christ. Um, a good amount of scripture deals with this issue because of its importance towards the effectiveness of the body. Uh, but I don't think that Christianity in 2022 places an appropriate or proportionate emphasis on its application, either as a goal for us as believers or even as a way of life. So I hope that you will engage with the content with me this morning, follow along, and if anybody has any questions during the process, stop me and ask me. So let's just take a quick look and see how we can apply these concepts in our lives. And before we go through the text, we're going to see two things. I want to look at some biblical truth, just some basic foundational understanding of unity and humility. And then I want to see why it matters to us individually, meaning how can we apply it, not just in our lives, but corporately in the body, not just in Stillwater Bible, but out in the universal church. And after we see these things, I think it'll help us to put an appropriate emphasis, or the right emphasis, that Paul places on Jesus' humility here in Philippians 2. So let's look at some truth concerning unity and humility. The first truth that I want to bring out, and I think that most of you know, is that the body of Christ is most effective when it's unified. It's most effective when it's unified. Uh, the universal church has a commission, they have goals, they have a purpose, they have a responsibility, and it's the exact same as ours at Stillwater Bible. What's our goal and purpose? It's to make disciples, just like the universal churches is. But the universal church, Stillwater Bible, and any smaller group can't be effective towards that mission unless everybody's marching in the same direction, unless they're unified in intention and unified in purpose. And that's what the Bible tells us to do. Uh, there's a problem there, though. Because what are we saying needs to be unified, or maybe who needs to be unified? Because the body of Christ is made up of people. And collectively, when people are involved, uh, they tend to mess things up because our pride or our fleshly desires get involved. And when there's one direction that everybody should pull, because of selfish ambition or because of flesh, people start pulling in different directions. And when that happens, the body's less effective. Left unchecked, over time, people start pulling in all those different directions against each other and away from the mission. But Scripture teaches that the effectiveness of the body towards its mission and goals is dependent on being of one mind, of one purpose, all striving together for the same goal. We're all in this thing together. We have a goal, and let's go do it. That's what Paul's point is here. And a unified church body is super important, which leads us to number two. Unity is important, but biblical unity is dependent on the presence of humility in the individual parts of the body. Biblical unity is dependent on the presence of humility in the individual parts of the body. It is. It's actually the only way that it can work. In order for the body to function appropriately, there has to be humility in its members. What makes up its members? Us, you, me, all of us together. We have to exhibit humility. And if it's true that we have to have humility in order to be effective, then we better understand what it means to be humble, which is exactly why Paul wrote chapter 2. 
It's important to understand. So let's define it. Let's talk about biblical humility. It's important to understand that biblical humility is having a mindset that prioritizes others above yourself. In some cases, it's humilities with God or humility with God, and in others, it's humility with others. Does that sound familiar? What else are we supposed to have for God and others? It's love. It's love. Uh, love and humility are intertwined. They go together. You can't find a place in Scripture that talks about unity in the body and not find either a direct or passive reference to love. In Colossians, he says to put on love because it's the perfect bond of unity. They go together. And this is a message that's all throughout Scripture, but here in Philippians 2, Paul uses himself. He uses Timothy. He uses a random dude named Epaphroditus. And then he uses Jesus, all as examples of the type of humility that we should exemplify in our lives. Paul says to join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern that they have in us. Okay, who are those people that walk according to the pattern that Paul set? Well, Timothy was one in Philippians. Timothy humbly came over under Paul's leadership, and because he did, they were effective in building the church. He says, you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Timothy humbly came under Paul's leadership, and they were effective because they were unified. And it was the same thing with Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, Paul says to hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the sake of Christ. Epaphroditus was carrying the letters back and forth, and he almost died because of it. Paul says that's the type of person you should hold in high regard, whose ministry takes him close to death. The world system says otherwise. We'll talk about it in a minute, but the world system says to hold people in high regard who are good-looking, well-spoken, rich, powerful, able to enact change. Paul says don't have that mindset. Don't have that attitude. The attitude you're supposed to have stands in stark contrast to that. We're going to see it. And then, of course, there's the perfect example of Jesus, which we'll cover once we get into the text. Jesus, who, although he existed in perfect, eternal, from eternity past, fellowship with God, uh, became a human. Not just a human, he became a bondservant. He didn't just become a bondservant, he died. He didn't just die, he died on a cross. Every step of the way, Jesus showed us what it means to be humble and to live a life of humility. And in Christ lies the true essence of, of, of humility, and we'll see it when we get to it. But it's these elements of obedience and sacrificial love that we're supposed to emulate. When we do, the body benefits, and it grows on to maturity. And isn't that God's whole, isn't that his will for us, for the believer and the body, that we grow on to maturity? We'll see it in just a second. We've mentioned it, and Darlene actually said when she got her hand out, she goes, ooh, humility, that's hard. It is. It's hard because it's not natural. It's actually supernatural. Things like humility, biblical love, obedience, general, genuine sacrificial service, those things don't just happen. You have to be intentional, and you have to be disciplined to bring about that type of fruit. 
Because as we say here in number three, humility, at least biblical humility, is not natural. We come into this world dead in trespasses and sins. We're hardwired in our flesh to look out for number one, to look out for ourselves, to promote our own interests. Our flesh, the part of us that is natural, and the part of us that wants what we want, regardless of what God wants for us, is always going to attempt is always going to tempt us to satisfy ourselves, to satisfy our pride. And that makes it hard, because we know that Satan's world system, it, it, it tempts and attracts our flesh. Considering others is more important than ourselves takes intentionality, and it takes effort. Look what James says here in chapter 3, verse 14 through 16. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't be arrogant and so lie against the truth. There's an, assumption that, there's an assumption that people who have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition recognize it. He says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish in your heart, don't be arrogant and lie against the truth. Why? Because this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it's earthly. It's natural. It's demonic. Do those, things, those three things look familiar? There's the world, the flesh, and the devil all together. It's earthly, it's natural, it's demonic where there's jealousy and where there's selfish ambition. He says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder, not unity, and every evil thing. Then to start chapter 4, he says, what is the source of your quarrels? What is the source of the conflicts that are among you? Isn't it your pleasures? Is it not your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you don't have, so you commit murder. You're envious and you cannot attain, so you fight and quarrel. What is the source of our problems according to this verse? Isn't it our pleasures? Isn't it your lust? Isn't it the lust of the flesh? The lust of the eyes? The pride of life? That's bad news. But... God in his graciousness gives us a provision. And we're going to see that next. Not only does he make us spiritually alive, but he gives us the Holy Spirit to indwell in us. So believers have a choice. When someone believes they're made a new creation, which is what we're going to see, and they have an opportunity. They can either walk by the flesh and live in a system of quarrels and conflicts, or they can walk by the Spirit in humility and enjoy peace and unity. So let's see the practical use of unity and humility here. So let's ask the question, what does unity and humility have to do with you specifically? Where do they fit in your life, and what does that look like? Well, number one is that when a person places their faith in Christ as Savior, they become a new creation. We all know this. Part of being a new creation includes having a new ability or a new power to stop living for yourself to set aside the selfish ambition and to start living for Jesus Christ with God and other people in mind. I think that Christianity misses this. Once you put your faith in Jesus as Savior, it's not about you anymore. You're not grafted in to the body of Christ and you have a responsibility. You have a goal. And that's going to take your time. It's going to take your effort. It's going to take your energy. It's going to take your will. It's going to take your emotions. It's going to take your resources. 
because that's what a unified body does. All of those things you can tie back to a spiritual gift, which we're going to see here in just a second. We know 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. But what about that, by the way? What old things passed away? The flesh didn't go away. It's easy to talk about the things that we get at belief. We know we get eternal life. We get the Holy Spirit. We're made spiritually alive. We get forgiveness of sins. We get spiritual gifts. There's a whole list of things that you get when you believe, but what things went away? We know that from Romans 6, 7, and 8, and Galatians 5 and 6, that the chains of the flesh have been broken. Your bondage, you didn't have an option before. You lived according to the lust of your flesh. Everybody did. We were all dead in trespasses and sins in which we formerly walked according to the course of this world, is how he says it in Ephesians. But we know from these places that we now have an ability and a power to stop sinning. And we can choose to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So now when a person believes, they don't have to obey the lust of the flesh. We can walk by the power of the Spirit and live a life that's pleasing to God. Number two, when the Holy Spirit places a believer into the body of Christ, he also gives them at least one spiritual gift to serve. This is a huge deal. It's huge. Think about that. Did you know that if you've put your faith in Christ that you have a spiritual gift? Do you think God wasted that? Do you think that he just flippantly gives that? Or do you think he does it with a purpose? He doesn't want you to waste it. In 1 Peter 4, he says, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, use your gift. Be a good steward with it. He didn't give it to you so that you could sit on it, so that you could watch it waste away. He cares enough about the health and wellness of the body, its unity, that he gives you a gift to serve in the body. We're going to see that. So what, do, what in the world do spiritual gifts have to do with unity and humility? The answer to that question is everything for you and for me. As believers, unity starts with us. It does. But we know, we have already seen that you can't have that without humility. You can't have unity if you're serving ourselves or if you're serving yourself in selfish ambition. I can't have unity if I'm serving myself in selfish ambition. In humility, we use our spiritual gifts to serve God and others so that the body is built up in love. Isn't that what it says in Ephesians 4? Our gifts are so that we can serve other believers. That's another major point of emphasis that I think that we've missed in Christendom in the last hundred years. Who's your, spirit, who's your gift for? Who is it for? Who? It's for the body for the body. In 2 Corinthians 12, he says there's a variety of gifts with the same Spirit. Those gifts provide a variety of ministries in the same word. Those ministries provide a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons, but to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. Not for you. I mean, you will benefit from it if you're faithful to use it someday at the judgment seat of Christ. If you've done what you're supposed to do, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. 
To be clear, the Lord gives spiritual gifts that the believer will serve in the body, not their self. Remember, once you've put your faith in Jesus, you're grafted in, you're sealed, and you have a goal, and you have a mission, and you have a responsibility. When individuals faithfully carry out their ministry as Christians in harmony and accord with the rest of the body, it grows and it matures. That's the goal. However, we know that the prerequisite characteristic for this type of unity is humility. So Paul's going to clearly illustrate what that looks like for us. He illustrates the epitome of humility by using Jesus' relationship with God the Father and humans as our example. Jesus, without regarding his deity, is something that he should hold on to. Left the glories of heaven where he enjoyed perfect fellowship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit from eternity past. He became a man, as a bondservant, perfectly lived out the will of his Father, and then gave up that life for his creation. Right before this, at the end of chapter 1, he says to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. So that whether I come and visit you or I remain absent, I'll hear of you that you're standing firm in one mind, with one purpose, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now here in chapter 2, he's going to give them some information necessary in order to stand firm in one spirit and with one mind. So let's see it here in verse 3. Humility of mind. He says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. With humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Here, after stressing unity and like-mindedness at the end of chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 2, Paul gives a commandment to avoid an attitude or mindset of selfish ambition, but in humility to regard one another or others as more important than themselves or ourselves. You see, Satan's propaganda within the fallen world system, just like we talked about earlier, is that the more powerful, wealthy, attractive, talented, educated, or well-spoken that you are, the more that you should be desired, the more that you should be emulated, the more that you should be esteemed, promoted, or supported. And the fact of the matter is that the truths of Scripture stand in stark contrast to this ideology. It's the exact opposite of what Jesus wants. And that's the point he's going to make in this passage using Jesus as an example. The directive here is boldly stated and very straightforward, but one that may be difficult for all of us to put into practice. With humility of mind, we are supposed to regard one another as more important than ourselves. That's hard to do. Because we want to be powerful. We want to be attractive. We want to be well-spoken. We want to be perceived certain ways. But here, remember, what was humility? It's prioritizing others above yourself. In the Greek, the to regard here and regard others as more important carries the sense or the idea that your priority should be others in the body and to consider or think of them as superior or more important than yourself. And notice that Paul, he always does this, but notice that he uses it a negative positive contrast here to demonstrate and emphasize his point. We're given a negative motivation to avoid and positive motivations to embrace. The negative, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition. But, there's the contrast, to humility, regard others as more important. Don't do it for yourself. Regard others as more important than yourself. Why? 
It promotes unity. Isn't that what this whole thing's about? There's at least three biblical truths or principles that coincide with humility that are really cool when you look at it. I mentioned earlier that Scripture is littered or it's chock full of humility and unity. Let's look at some of it. Let's look at some time examining this. And as we do, keep in mind your defi- our definition for humility. Humility is having a mindset that prioritizes others above ourselves, right? We know that in some cases it's humility with God and it's humility with others. The first principle is that there's humility before exaltation. This is a principle that's all over Scripture. First there's humility, then there's exaltation. When you hear people say the phrase cross before the crown, this is what they're talking about. Look what he says in Proverbs. Pride brings low, but a humble spirit obtains honor. What's the source of the problem in this passage? It's pride. Psalms 138, though the Lord is on high, he attends to the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Who's further away from God in this one? It's the pride, it's the prideful, it's the proud. Who's more blessed here? The lowly are. In Hannah's prayer of thanksgiving, she said the Lord humbles and the Lord exalts. In Mary's song, she says, He brings down rulers, but exalts the humble. In these two verses, who does the humbling and exalting? The Lord does. What happens if you become the humbler or exalter? What happens if you exalt yourself? He's going to wear you out. You would much rather humble yourself than God humble you. I promise you. Let him exalt you. Luke 14, 11, Everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. There it is, right there. Matthew 23, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Exact same thing, different parable, but the exact same point. In James, he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble Submit, therefore, to God. There is an element of submission in humility. When you come under somebody or you consider themselves as more important than yourselves, in a sense, you're submitting to that, that thing. And that brings about humility or uh, unity. It promotes unity. First Peter 5. Here's one when it talks about younger men that want to be in, uh, leaders in the body. Be subject to your elders. And all of you clothe yourselves with Humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Why? That he may exalt you at the proper time. Because it's God that does it. You take care of your business, and there's a promise here in Scripture. If you live a life of humility, he's going to exalt you, whether in this life or at the judgment seat of Christ. And of course, we just read the one in Philippians that Jesus humbled himself through service and obedience. And what happened because he did it? For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because of what Jesus did, God exalted him. For this reason, God highly exalted him. Because of his humility. And this is a truth in Scripture. Number two, in humility, we serve others. We are to serve others. Your gift is for others. Who's the greatest? They asked Jesus. He said, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your 
servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In Galatians, we have freedom. Believers have freedom with what they're going to do in their life. He says you're called to freedom, just don't let your freedom turn into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. You could say it another way, you have freedom to serve other people. In 2 Corinthians, it's not about you. It's about Jesus and others. He says we don't preach ourselves. We don't tell people how great we are. We don't tell people how mature we are. We promote Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as other people's bondservants. Why? For Jesus' sake. It's about him and it's about others. In 1 Corinthians 9, he says, For though I'm free of all men, I've made myself a slave to all. Why? So that I can be effective. So that I can win more people for Christ. The third truth that's important that, that coincides with humility in Philippians is that our mindset affects our attitude and your behavior. What's going on in your head is going to manifest itself in your actions and your behaviors. In Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. He says in Luke, the good, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. The evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. But really, the one that brings it home is here in Colossians. He says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Living a life of humility to promote unity doesn't mean that you don't have to have difficult conversations. He actually says in this one, uh, with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another, you admonish somebody when the goal is unity. Not to make yourself better than them, not to make them feel bad, not to make them feel stupid, not for your selfish ambition, but when you're trying to generate unity in the body because that's the goal. So let's move on because we'll see how Jesus did it. Humility and exaltation exemplified. Verse 5, he says, Has this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay? We're supposed to have an attitude that Jesus had. So what did that look like? Well, he existed in the form of God, and he didn't regard his equality with God a thing to be held on to. But he emptied himself, and he took the form of a bondservant when he was made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
In this section, Paul provides support and justification for the humility commandment by providing Jesus Christ's action as a perfect example of humility. You could say it this way. We're told to, with humility of mind and with the attitude and mindset of Christ, regard one another as more important than yourselves. That summarizes the verses 3 through 11. And Jesus is the perfect example of humility. Through his, in this passage, through his obedience and through his sacrifice. By the way, which one of these two do you think that God regards higher? It's obedience. We talk a lot about sacrifice, and it's important, but in obedience we sacrifice. Paul urges us by the mercies of God to present our bodies as a holy living sacrifice. In obedience, we offer our lives back up to Christ. In humility, we sacrifice for others. How did Jesus exemplify obedience according to Philippians 2, 5 through 11? The first thing is that he identified with humanity by becoming a man. Was it important that our Savior was a man? Very important. It's actually pretty comforting to know that Jesus understands us. And part of the reason I think he's so gracious with us is because he walked in a human body. He understands the pulls. He understands the temptations. He understands the struggles. He can empathize with us because he identified with us. That was humbling for him, by the way. How would you like to create something and then become one of your creations so that you could suffer for it? That's humbling. In humility, he did that. Not only that, but he took the form of a bondservant. Not just a man. He could have became a king, and someday he will be, by the way. But he came as a bondservant. We've talked about before that a bondservant is someone who does the will of their master. He's doing God's will to die for us, to suffer for us. Not just become a man, but become a slave. And then he died a disgraceful death. He didn't just die. He wasn't clean. wasn't easy. Matter of fact, he was scared to death of it almost. The night before in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was, he was scared. But he was determined to die a disgraceful death for us. Jesus' faithfulness in his earthly body is also a picture of humility. Took on an earthly body, served God and man, by the way. That's crazy. When you think about those verses in Matthew and Mark that he didn't come to be served, but to serve, he wasn't just serving God. He did that for us in humility. That's the type of attitude we're supposed to have for one another. He demonstrated true, pure, and complete love by sacrificing that earthly body. Guess what? We all have bodies. We're supposed to take the bodies that we have and put them into service for God. That's why in that Romans 12, when he says, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living, holy sacrifice. You present your bodies, not just your life, your body. Earlier in Romans 6, he had said, stop sinning. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present your bodies or yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your bodies as instruments of righteousness for him. That's what we're supposed to do. In 1 Corinthians, everybody thinks that Holy Spirit passage is about the Holy Spirit, but how does it end? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you? 
that you have from God, you're not your own because you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. It's only logical that you take what he's done for us and let it motivate you to offer your life and sacrifice to him. That's a life of humility and that's a life of sacrificial love. And that's what he wants us to do. And guess what? There's great news for people that do it. Because we've already seen the principle that after humility comes what? Exaltation. The judgment seat of Christ should be a motivator. You shouldn't be scared of it. Your sin's been dealt with. All it takes is a little bit of faithfulness in this life to use the things that he's already given you. He's given you a body. He's given you spiritual life. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you a spiritual gift. All you have to do is put a little bit of discipline, a little bit of effort, and a little bit of faithfulness into those things to be successful. Then someday when you stand before him, he'll say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. And when we all do this as a group, when the body all has the same goal and we're working towards that goal together, we're unified towards its purpose and we're more effective. That's the whole point. Paul's not trying to drop a theological bomb here. A lot of people write thesis on this. is called the kenosis passage. What does it mean that Jesus emptied himself? They miss the point. The whole thing is an example of humility and what it's supposed to look like for us. Because of Jesus' complete work, his humble mindset and actions, his obedient life, and his satisfactory service, he's exalted above everything. That's a beautiful picture. And someday, next time he comes, it's different. We're going to serve him. And we will for eternity, by the way. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, that's everybody by the way. Every time we'll confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what have we seen? What's the summary? Humility is a sign of spiritual maturity. It is. It takes effort. It's not something that just happens. You don't one day wake up spiritually mature. Because it's natural. The natural part of you wants to look out for itself. It wants to, it wants to, get, it wants to get its own thing. It wants to do its own thing. That's what sin is. We sin presumptuously because we want what we want rather than what we know God wants for us. When we do that, we are not humbly submitting to God. We are putting ourselves above him as God and saying, I don't care what you want, I'm going to get mine. That's our flesh. But he's given us a provision for that. Pride's the opposite of humility, and it inherently resides within every human being, both believers and unbelievers, which is why believers can sometimes look like unbelievers. It's natural to look out for yourself, to make decisions and take actions that benefit you only. That's not hard to do. Everybody can do it. Everybody does do it. It's why we cry and throw fits as infants and toddlers. It's why we fight with siblings and others as children. Isn't that what he says in James? What's the source of the quarrels that are among you? What's the source of the conflict? It's the same as when we were little. It's why we compete and why we compare as adults. Pick me, I'm better. I deserve this because I've worked harder and I'm smarter, by the way. I have bigger and better stuff. Look at me. My kid's more intelligent. I have more money. That's all stuff that's easy to do because it's the, it's what the, it's the way of the world. 
But we're supposed to stand in stark contrast to that. We're supposed to adopt the opposite supernatural mindset and imitate Jesus with humility through encouraging, loving, affectionate, compassionate, like-mindedness with other believers. We're called to unite around the proclamation of Jesus Christ. We're instructed through a humble mindset to consider one another as more important. And in humility, we serve others. From God's standpoint, humility comes before exaltation. Exaltation. From the world's standpoint, exaltation comes for all the wrong reasons. A humble mindset manifests itself in unifying words and unifying actions and unifying behaviors. And Jesus was our perfect example of humility through his obedience and sacrifice. So if you go home someday, and you're like, I don't remember what he said, but it was something about humility. And I know it was in Philippians. Just go read it. You can't miss it. Jesus was the perfect example of what our humble and unifying behavior should look like. And because of his humility, God the Father exalted him above everything. So what are some applications? Number one, do a self-evaluation. It's a huge thing. Evaluate your mindset, your motives, by constantly, by the way, because it's natural to do the other way, so you have to constantly uh, ask your questions to yourself. Do I regard others as more important than myself? And how are my decisions, actions, and words affecting others for God's glory? Not just how are they affecting them, like not just how does it make it easier for me, but how is God glorified through it? Number two, joyfully and purposefully consider others. You have to be proactive because it's not natural. It's not something that just happens. You have to make a decision. You have to purpose in your heart to do it. Three, as much as it depends on you, maintain unity. I didn't talk about this, but we don't create unity. God creates unity. We maintain it. When we're put in the body, we're unified, but it's the people that mess it up. We're the ones who destroy it for our own selfish ambitions. Think the best of people and their intentions. That's a big one. So often something happens and we assume the worst. But 1 Corinthians 13 says the opposite. Think the best of people's intentions. Sometimes that means you have to develop thick skin. Be a little less sensitive, maybe. Remember, this is a spiritually mature thing. It's not easy. We love others and we forgive others. Next, resist exalting yourself. And, by the way, other people for earthly reasons. Leave the exalting to God. Associate with the lowly. Hold those who faithfully serve like Epaphroditus, hold those people in high regard. If you want to exalt somebody, do it for the right reasons. Do it because they're giving sacrificially for the body. Next, understand that biblical humility is required. This is a truth. It's a principle in Scripture. There's no exaltation without humility. And then finally, of course, obey God. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Love Him and love others.